right, friends, thank you for being back Sunday night. Let's all stand together. Brother Ken's going to come lead us now. Let's make a joyful noise on this Sunday evening. Everybody stand with us. Brother Ken. Amen. In your Red Song book, hymn number 154, New Name and Glory. We'll sing all three verses tonight, page 154. prayer requests from the, other than the ones I mentioned this morning. I want you to pray for Brother Aaron Lee. Uh, a lot of you may have seen on social media or on some of the local channels the apartment complex uh, that he stayed in with Piedmont Community Services caught fire last night. Uh, most of it burned up. Uh, several of the apartments did. He is now in the Quality in. They've put him there. Uh, so pray for him and those other residents that are affiliated with Piedmont Community Services. Pray especially for them tonight, if you would. Uh, I know they'd sure appreciate that. And then I also talked this morning to Sister Rachel Perry's son. Uh, he was here today and he said his mom's doing well. They have not heard anything yet regarding the biopsy. There was lots of things they had to do, but pray for her as well as they continue to wait on that. Boy, don't these teenagers look good standing up here. I like that. Let's, let's, come on, come on, Lexi. Come on, sweetheart. No, I promised I wouldn't embarrass nobody, but I am now. Come on, darling. 
front row to come down here and join us. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight, and we're glad to be in your house. We are thankful for the opportunity that you've provided for us to assemble together. Lord, I pray your blessings upon our services tonight. Speak through us. Use us now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's remain standing. Let's have a song of fellowship. Brother Ken. Amen. Page 150 in the Red Songbook. Dearest friend I ever had, we'll do the first verse and chorus, Fellowship of Wild, hymn number 150.
you so much. Appreciate that uh, this evening, ladies. Appreciate that immensely. Uh, Want to, again, say a big thank you to the parents uh, that let these teens go with us this week. We had a great time. We're going to show you a few highlights of the conference in just a moment and talk to you about some of the things we experienced. But I, I want to just say this to you. They did fantastic this week. Well behaved. Uh, they were where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be, and most importantly, they had a good attitude about it. Um, and I got so tickled. You know, when you spend, when you when you live with somebody, you get to know them a little bit. Uh, and um, and and I just have to tell you, wave. I'm, I promise not to embarrass them badly, but wave your hand, Lexi. Wave your hand. If you have never seen somebody pose, this young lady is a posing queen. We would get on the bus to get ready to go somewhere, and it would be 8, 8.30, eyes groggy. I mean, they're laying down in the back seat. We had to be at Dollywood at 8.30. 8, no, we'd be at Dollywood at 8. We'd been at services all until like 11.30, 12 o'clock, late, late, late. I had to be at Dollywood at 8 for morning services. So they were dragging and groggy, laying down. Miss Renee says, uh, I'm going to take a picture. And Lexi went, Oh, God, I love And then as soon as she heard the click, she goes. Uh, Bob Mullins, uh, Brother Bob says of Kyla, she's ne never met a microphone or a camera she didn't like. I don't think that describes Lexi as well. But I appreciate everybody's good uh, manners and the way they conducted themselves. They represented our church well, and you should be proud of that. Fellas, make your way down this evening, if you would, please. And ladies, if you'll play a number for us tonight. If you haven't worshipped the Lord, tithes and offerings, you do that now. And God will bless you for it. Father, thank you for the opportunity, as always, that you provided for us to be in your house. We count it a privilege. Uh, Lord, bless the offering tonight in Christ's name. Amen. that we did this week, then we're going to turn that on and show you about four or five minutes of a highlight reel, uh, and then we're going to get into the Word. Of course, we headed out Monday services Monday night. Brother C.T. Townsend preached, did a fantastic job. On a Tuesday, we spent the day at Dollywood, uh, spent the uh, morning on service, doing services. Uh, a Monday mor uh, excuse me, Tuesday morning, uh, the adults and the teens were in different places, but we had services first, then we had the run of the park for the day. I, I couldn't get uh, too many folks to ride uh, the roller coaster with me, uh, but I got two girls to ride with me. Amen. Just saying. <laughs> and uh, Tuesday evening, uh, we had uh, Brother Johnny Pope. Greatest preacher in America, as far as I'm concerned, did a spectacular job. Uh, you'll see just a little bit of that. Wednesday morning, we had Brother Joe Arthur. You'll see a little bit of that. 
Uh, Wednesday evening, Brother C.T. preached again. Uh, Thursday morning, uh, we had a fantastic message uh, by, by Brother Ralph Sexton, Jr., uh, just incredible, and you'll see a touch of that. The only thing you won't see is Thursday evening because the video was actually made before the Thursday evening services, uh, and Thursday evening was pretty incredible. Uh, we, the, the, it's just spectacular. You really can't describe a blessing, but it was pretty incredible. Brother Kenny Baldwin uh, uh uh, we, had, we had been there for about three hours and just, just God moving in an incredible way. Brother C.T. said, Brother Kenny, won't you come up and share a testimony? Uh, and it just got on. And if you've never heard Brother Kenny, you, 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 if you've ever heard him, you know what I'm talking about. So with all that being said, let me give you just a little clip of this. Brother Coffee, hit it, buddy. And this is the highlight for us this week. I would say my favorite thing about Rise would be Dollywood right now. Dollywood. Just how everyone gets to have fun together. power of God in this place. You know, those people up there that are singing, they're not singing for show. My favorite part of the Arise Conference is that is the preaching. He messed up his attitude. And then when his attitude got bad, his thinking got stinking. When you get stinking thinking, you're going to get in trouble. I believe we'd be absolutely shocked and amazed out of how many of you are in here that while I'm preaching your heart's beating out of your chest while I'm preaching God's dealing with your heart and he's saying he's talking to you uh, rise is somewhere that you're going to feel the presence of the Lord uh, you're going to feel the Holy Spirit in this place and that's something that you want to do to worship with other teens this is the place to be I didn't get redeemed when I joined the church. I didn't get redeemed when I got baptized. But praise God, I got redeemed when the Holy Ghost led me to Calvary. And I trusted the blood of Jesus. You get to see uh, people's lives change and stuff. And it's just really powerful to see it. He, that's the Father, hath made him, that's Jesus the Son, to be sin for us. But I made my mind up, I'll be a mule-headed Christian, and I think I'll just go with God this morning. So when it seems it can't be done, I know God is big enough. I can run the rest I want to run. Cause I know God is big enough He'll finish everything He starts He'll meet us right here where we are and I can feel faith rise in 
tonight to the book of Daniel, please. Turn your Bibles this evening to the book of Daniel. Let me say I appreciate uh, all the work that went into making this happen. Uh, those that help with the golf tournament, Brother Ken, Miss Susan orchestrating that, and, and everybody that participated, that was the primary fundraiser for the year. And uh, dates have already been set for next year, July 22nd through the 26th. Uh, we're already making plans to go, Lord willing. Uh, and uh, we're excited about that. You, you, you pray for Brother C.T. Townsend. God's got his hand on him uh, and uh, doing incredible, incredible work. One of the reasons that you, I sacrifice a little bit of vacation time to go uh, and to do something like this, number one is because when you're, when, you're tender, when you're the one doing the feed and you need some time to be fed, everybody needs preaching. The preacher needs preaching as well. And so it's a great time for me to just sit and relax and enjoy the preaching and be around some of these young folks. And I love that. In fact, uh, Renee and I were chatting for 22 years now. This was our 22nd year in a row where we've taken a group of teenagers to conference somewhere. Uh, I love, love, love every second of it. Uh, it's an opportunity, again, just to be fed a little bit. But at the same time, and I know Brother Ken and I have chatted about this because they've done so many teen conferences they've taken folks to, it is also an opportunity to let teenagers know that they are not the only ones trying to serve God, that there are kids all over the country who are dedicated to serving God even as youngsters. And so one of the things that excites me the most about CT and Greg Lentz and these others that have done teen conferences is it gives an opportunity for young folks to come together, folks of like faith, and be reminded that the God they hear about on Sunday is the true God, he's the real God, and he's alive and well. And so when you get into an environment like that, and it's also good to just get away pull away from the influences for a little while and let them come together. And so God actually met with us in incredible ways, and we thank him for that. So what I want to talk to you tonight about is something that always permeates my thoughts when we get back from conference. How do we keep the zeal going, whether it uh, is, is our group or any other group? How do you keep the zeal, the fire going? Let's be honest, church, that's not just teenagers, that's all of us. Whenever we get in the midst of a great service and we have a good spiritual experience and, a, and perhaps even an emotional connection to God, how do we keep the fires and the fervency going? That, that is a reality for all believers, not just teenagers. But here's what I want you to understand, church. You probably know it, but I want to say it again anyway. Our teens today fight battles most of us never contemplated. Our teens today are fighting battles that most of us never imagined. It staggers me sometimes when I listen to some of the things that they see on a daily basis, things that most of us would have never imagined at their age having to fight. And so what I always go back to is the story that's recorded in the book of Daniel. It is perhaps, I think, the greatest example of young people living for God in an ungodly environment. Let me say that again. Living for God in an ungodly environment. Let's be clear, folks. Whether it's our teenagers, our young adults, our senior saints, whatever it may be, most of us operate day in and day out in a secular environment. Most of us don't work in a church environment. We don't work in a spiritual environment. We operate most days in a secular 
environment. Would you listen to this very blunt statement? We will never serve God by accident. We will never serve God by accident. You're going to see in just a few moments a statement that's made about these three Hebrew children that I think is absolutely instrumental in every one of these folks and every one of these folks and every one of these folks uh, serving God. It is that they purposed in their hearts they were going to serve God. Can I pause a moment and say that decision was made before the challenge faced them. If you wait until the obstacle is in your face, if you wait until the temptation is in your face, uh, you will never be able to face it and handle it. We've got to make the decision now uh, that when we get to that place, we're going to serve God anyway. So let's go into the book of Daniel tonight, chapter number 1. We'll read just a few verses, uh, and I want to ask you these questions. How do we know when we, stand, when we should stand up? How do we know when we should speak up? How do we impact change in the world around us? Well, we're going to look at four young men tonight, three of which uh, play out in chapter number one, the others which play out in subsequent chapters. Uh, three men that you know of well, all four actually. The first one is, of course, uh, who the book is written after, the band Daniel. Uh, the other three, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, uh, and Abednego. And as you're going to see tonight, these boys determined in their heart that they were going to serve God in the most defiled of environments. So let's begin reading tonight and read just the first seven verses if we can. Daniel chapter number 1, verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Everybody with me. Simply paraphrasing that verse, Nebuchadnezzar has now attacked and ransacked Jerusalem, and the nation of Israel is about to crumble, about to fall, the southern kingdom. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, excuse me, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So again, let me paraphrase. Not only has, has Nebuchadnezzar the king led a ransack of Jerusalem, they have defiled the temple. It would be like stripping the church bare and dedicating that to the worship of a false god. So now the land has been ransacked. The temple, the church has been ransacked. Go to verse number 3. Notice. King spake unto Asphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Whoa, let's pause right there. So we're going to talk, first of all, about the trials. Here's what's going on. This was part and parcel of how Nebuchadnezzar's army operated. When they would attack a new territory, they did not just attack the territory. They did not just ransack the land. They did not just strip the church or the temple bare, if you will. They took the best and the brightest young people, carried them back, if you will, to Nebuchadnezzar's palace because they knew if they could get the young people, they could enculturate the whole society. I want to say that again so that you'll get it. They understood that to really take control of the land, they had to indoctrinate the young people. 
So they took the best and the brightest. They took those in whom there was no blemish, uh, those, if you will, uh, who were well-educated, attractive, uh, part of the king's family. They took the best that Israel had to offer all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar's palace uh, with one charge. Turn these people into Chaldeans. Strip them of their Jewish heritage. Strip them of their Jewish identity. uh, Strip them of everything they know. uh, Turn them into Chaldeans. What? A tragedy. What a trial. So now, you're about to meet some fellas. You're about to meet four of the boys who were part of the crew that was carried out of Jerusalem. Part of the crew that was ransacked and brought back to Nebuchadnezzar's palace with this charge. Get rid of their faith. Get rid of their identity. Get rid of their heritage. Mamas and daddies are gone. Grandparents are gone. They're in the palace now. Turn them into followers of Nebuchadnezzar. Keep reading. Notice what happens. Next verse, if you would, verse number 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Three years, they're going to be fed the best food. Three years, they're going to be fed the best nourishment. Three years, they're going to be indoctrinated. We might even say brainwashed. Stripped again of their cultural heritage. Stripped of their lineage of faith, if you will. Stripped of their Jewish identity. And at the end of three years, uh, these boys are going to stand before God, stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and he's going to tell them whether or not they've made it. He'll be the judge. Uh, whether or not they are no longer Jews, uh, but now they're Chaldeans. But notice, if you would, verse 6. Among these were of the children of Judah. And again, this is not all of them. But these among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. By the way, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but When you look at the names and what they meant, uh, each of their original names had to do with their faith in Jehovah. And the new names uh, all have to do with the false idols they're now about to worship. So stay with me, folks. Here's the trial. Here's the conquest, the circumstance they faced. All of these teenagers, and and biblical scholars are in complete agreement, these were young boys, these were young teens. Uh, Girls were included as well, uh, but these were young teen boys. Uh, They're removed from their parents. Uh, They're removed from their families. Uh, They're removed from their homeland. Uh, They're removed from their places of worship. Uh, They're removed from their faith. Uh, They've given a new identity. Uh, They're given a new name. Uh, They're told to worship a new God. Uh, And at the end of three years, uh, they need to be brand new people. By the way, church, that is the very definition of brainwashing. That is the very definition of brainwashing. New name, new identity, new lineage, new heritage, new environment. Get rid of everything that you know. Can I pause a moment and say, there were no churches in Chaldea. There were no places of worship in Chaldea. 
There was no worship of Jehovah in Chaldea. Why are you saying that, preacher? Because as you're going to see in just a moment, uh, these boys decided uh, that despite where they were, uh, despite the obstacles they faced, uh, despite the circumstances they were under, uh, despite the environment they were in, uh, they were going to serve God anywhere. Uh, So you look at me. You can serve God anywhere God puts you. In fact... What I often tell our young folks uh, whenever I have the opportunity, uh, whether it's my kids or your kids, uh, is that your candle will burn the brightest in the darkest areas. Let's keep reading. Notice what happens next. We go, if you will, from their conquest, the character. Notice uh, what it says in verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Can we pause right there? If you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to underline that phrase. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Let me simply say this tonight. You young folks sitting down here on the front two rows, some of you made some important decisions for Christ this week. I don't know what they were, But I saw you going to the altar and love the fact that each of you gathered around to pray for the other. I know for a fact some of you made some decisions for Christ this week. You hear me what I'm about to say? You better decide now. You have to decide now how you're going to handle circumstance X before circumstance X gets in front of you. Because if you don't decide now, you'll give in then. If you wait until you're faced with that to say, here's how I'm going to handle that, you'll never handle it. You've got to decide right now, tonight, what you're going to do when you see that person or that individual or that group that you've already said, i got to move away from. You've got to decide now how you're going to purpose in your heart. Daniel purposed in his heart, verse 8. He would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. Now God, I love this. I love verse 9. God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. There's a whole lot packed in these two verses. In verse 8. Daniel says, look, we've got all the king's food. And by the way, as you're going to see in just a moment, the king's, this is important. The king's food did not follow the dietary laws that God gave the Jewish people. So here's what they, these boys decided. We're going to keep our Jewish identity and our Jewish heritage alive by not partaking of the king's food. Uh, by the way, can I just pause a moment and tell you, the king's food probably looked good. The king's food probably tasted good. Uh, The king's food probably smelled good. Uh, And in fact, what you're going to see in just a moment compared to what they ate for day after day, the king's food was a heck of a lot better. Uh, But they decided we're going to preserve our legacy, our heritage, based upon what we eat. That was their way of saying we're a Jew and we want everybody to know it. But here's what I love about verse number 9. The prince of the eunuchs that was over the whole feeding program, God allowed Daniel to rise in favor in his eyes. Why does that matter? It matters a lot. 
Because I can just about guarantee you that if any of the other folks had stepped up and said, hey, we don't want that food, uh, they'd have said, fine, uh, you're dead. You're out of here. We'll destroy you and your family both. Uh, But because Daniel had, listen now, had conducted himself appropriately, uh, had been wise in all of his dealings, uh, the, the, the prince of the eunuchs looked at Daniel and said, there is something different about that kid. There is something different about that young man. So when Daniel stepped up and said, hey, can we do something different? I I can't help but think the prince of the eunuchs went, shh, okay, but don't tell anybody. How do we know? Keep reading. Notice what scripture says. Verse number 10. The prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear... The Lord, the King, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the King. You understand what he's saying? Daniel has said, I don't know what his name is. I'm going to call him Bob. He said, Bob, I, I don't, I, we don't want to eat this stuff. We don't, we don't want to eat that, that food that you're sitting out in front of us. It's against our faith. It's against who we believe in. It's against what we believe in. If it's okay with you, we would like to eat this. And by the way, this was just vegetables. What Daniel and the three boys are getting ready to do is a vegetarian diet. Don't that sound yummy? No, maybe it does to you. Don't to me. I'm a, I'm a meatarian. Amen. And so when Daniel stepped up and said, we don't want to do this, the eunuch wisely said, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. The whole reason you're being fed the king's food is so that you will plump up, so that you'll look better, so that you'll be more attractive, so that in three years when you stand before the king, he will look at you and say, yes, indeed, those look like Chaldean boys. Now they're part of our culture. And the eunuch said, if I grant your request, it's my neck on the line. Can I pause just a moment and make a very simple statement? When you put God to the test, he will tell you over and over again that his way is the right way. When you put God to the test, uh, you can never go wrong by being on God's side. Keep reading with me the next verse. We go uh, from, if you would, what I called their trials to their testimony. Notice what it says in verse number 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants. I beseech thee ten days. Now, remember, how long were they going to be eating? How many years? Three. And now, now, Daniel and the three boys says, prove thy servants for ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Pulse is just vegetables. Pulse is just vegetables. And so now they say, we want vegetables and water for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, you decide whether or not this is going to work. A meat diet that is fed to the king. By the way, meat just means food. It wasn't only meat, but it was the good stuff. It was the best of the best. Or 10 days of nothing but vegetables. Can, can, can I just be honest? Let's be, let's be blunt here. Ten days of a vegetable and water diet, you're probably going to lose weight, not gain weight. 
These boys are victims of war. These boys are prisoners of war. And one of the things that has to happen is they've got to be plumped up. They've got to be turned into young, vigorous teenage men so that they can be enculturated into the Chaldean religion. Notice what happens. Verse 13. Let our countenances be looked upon before thee. The countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat and of thy sea as thou seest deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. He proved them ten days. What does that mean? For ten days, these boys ate food that followed the dietary requirements of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. These boys followed the dietary laws that God gave to the Jewish faith. For ten days, they ate nothing but vegetables and water. While everybody else, all the others that were captured, everybody else ate food from the king's table. I say again, the food from the king's table was the best of the best. You understand that they were eating the best of the best. Ten days. You'd expect these boys to have lost weight. You'd expect them to not be as attractive, if you will, as the others who were being fed the best of the best. Why were they doing it? Because they wanted to keep their faith alive. Could I, could I give it to you in a very simple way? These boys were making this statement, young folks. They, by their actions, they're saying, we're different. We're not like everybody else. Even in this simple dietary change, if you will, they're saying, we are God's family. Can I pause a moment and say that some 3,000 years later, things haven't changed a lick, folks. Paul says to the Church of Rome in chapter 12, But I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may present what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to what I'm about to say. Just like these Hebrew boys said, we're different, and we're going to show it to you by how we conduct ourselves. Uh, give us some young folks that will do the same thing today. Give us some young folks uh, that will be at their public school. Give us some young adults my age and above uh, that will be at their place of employment. Give us some senior saints today uh, who will say, uh, we are different. God saved us out of the world, so now we're not going to act like the world. That's the simple reality of the message. How do you live for God when everyone around you is not? You know, one of the things that these teens heard over and over last week is that it's easy to serve God when 2,000 around you are shouting in praise of the Lord. It's easy to be on fire for God when you're in the midst of that kind of environment and you've got incredible preaching morning and night and great activities. But would you listen to me? That's not life. That's great. That's mountaintop. That's tremendous. That keeps you going. But you got to go back home. You got to go to work. You got to go to school. You got to go to your job. You got to face the challenges of the world. And if you leave all of that back up there on the mountain, it was a lot of fun. It was great. But God doesn't give us that to leave it there. He gives us that to take back to our daily lives. Let's keep reading. What happens? What happens? I give you tonight number three, their trials, their testimony, 
and their triumph. Look at verse 17. Look at, oh, let's go back. At the 10 days, verse 15. The end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Wow. What was the goal? To fatten them up. Remember, they're prisoners of war. They, they've been trounced across. They've had to walk all the way uh, from Jerusalem, uh, all the way to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar's palace, if you will. Uh, they've had to, what, they're, they're literally brought in chains uh, 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 into the palace. Uh, they've got to be fattened up now. At the end of 10 days, the boys who ate nothing but vegetables look better than those that defiled God with their diet. Verse number 16. Thus Melzar took away the portion of meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. That means for the rest of the three years. I don't know about you, but I'm going to want me a hamburger. Hey, man. <laughs> Sometime during the three years. But for three years, these boys uh, refused to defile themselves. Why? Because that was their way of saying, we're gods. We belong to God. We're gods. We're different. We belong to God. We belong to God. And so now, verse 17. Here's my favorite part of this. Because of their faithfulness, because of their refusal, here's what happens. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. How, how long has it been now? Three years. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, Stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them, I love this, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. So let me put a bow on this. Not only did God allow them to look better, allowed them to fatten up, if you will, based upon this God-approved diet. At the end of three years, uh, these boys are standing before the king. The king questions them. God imparts wisdom. God imparts knowledge. And so now these boys rise in rank to the point that Daniel becomes second in command in all of the kingdom. Here's what I want you to get from this, church. Here's what I want you to get from this, young folks. You follow God. And you'll never begin to believe all he's going to do with you. You go with God and you will never fully grasp until you get there what God has. I can promise you this. What God's got for you is a heck of a lot better than what the enemy's got. I can promise you, you go with God, you wait on God, you live for God, you do for God as God commanded you, and the life he'll have for you will be far greater than anything that old sly foot Satan has for you. If you were to keep reading tonight, you would get to another story that we all know well. 
It's the story of these same three boys thrown into the fiery furnace. Inevitably, whenever you try to serve God, listen to what I'm about to say. Whenever you try to serve God, inevitably, there will be those who try to attack you from every direction. Promise you. Promise you. They'll come from all different directions. Places you never imagined. And in the case of these three boys, they, they convinced the king to concoct this crazy idea that whenever the sound blew, the horn blew, you got to bow down and kneel before the idol. And you know what these three boys said? We're not going to bow. Look what God's already done for us. Look how good God's been for us. We're not going to bow. You know the story. Because they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they get thrown into the furnace. Not just any furnace, they heated the furnace up seven times hotter than it's been before. Here's what I want you to get. I promise you this. You go back to school, you're going to find those that don't want to serve God. You're going to find a group that tries to pull you away. And that's when you've got to have to purpose in your heart. Are you going to go with them or are you going to go with God? By the way, you've got a purpose in your heart right now. You got to do it tonight. You got to do it now. You can't wait till then because if you wait till then, you'll go the other direction, I promise you. And for some of you, if you keep serving God, there'll be some fiery furnaces you get thrown into. Let's not kid ourselves, church. Let's be honest with these folks. It's not easy to serve God. I don't want to I don't want to lie to them. I don't want to tell them they're going to have nothing but a hunky board bed of roses. It's going to be, ch it's challenging wherever you are to serve God. There'll be some furnaces. You know this part. Here's the best part. When the king looked into the furnace, he asked a really simple question. Did we not cast three men in? Yes, sir, we did, king. Well, lo and behold, I see four men. And one of them shining. Like the Son of God. Yet listen to me, I'm done. When the furnace comes, when the trials come, you look at me, you won't be there by yourself. And I promise you, there'll be some others uh, who want to get in the furnace with you. Uh, there'll be some others that want to serve God with you. Uh, like Elijah, you will find out that there are thousands that haven't bowed the knee to the false god. Uh, you serve God and God will take you places that you never dreamed. Let me say something to the parents. Thank you for letting them go with us. Thank you for, 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 for giving up the week, if you will, for them. Some of you are probably thinking, you're kidding. You can have them again next week if you want. <laughs> I have sat in my office after conference. I'm done, but listen. I've sat in my office after conference, and I've had parents, and Brother Ken can probably attest to the same thing. I've had parents say to me, Preacher, thank you so much. I think God's going to really do something with my youngster's life. Praise the Lord. That uh, blesses my heart. Then I've had some parents who just chew me out. Absolutely chew me out. Because their kids come back and they want to do something different. They want to be different. They want to act different. I've, I've, I've sat across from my desk absolutely stunned as I've listened to parents uh, say things like, there's nothing wrong with my child. My child was fine just the way he was or she was. Are you kidding me? Are you then 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 why did you raise three hundred dollars to send them to conference? You could take them to Dollywood for fifty bucks. Amen. 
The whole point of doing this uh, is to send them off uh, so that like all of us, they can recognize there's some things we need to work on. Amen. So if your child says to you, I got to work on X, don't throw any water on that fire. Look at them and say, well, if you're going to work on X, I'm going to work on X with you. Amen. Because what dawned on me sitting in my office uh, a few years ago when I was getting chewed up and spit out uh, is what was really happening uh, is the parent was saying to me, uh, I don't want to change. What he's doing is fine or what she's doing is fine because it's what I'm doing and you're not going to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Look, my flesh is as weak as theirs is. So I say to you tonight, if they came back with the zeal for something, uh, just throw a little bit of gasoline on it, and as a family say, we're going to go with God. Stand to our feet tonight. Stand to our feet tonight. Young folks, come on and join me at the altar. All you young folks, moms and dads that are here with them, y'all come on and join us as well. Come on, young folks. Y'all come on together. We're just going to pray. I want to invite you to join me in prayer right where you are. We're just going to pray for them. Father in heaven, I thank you for these young folks. I thank you for their willingness and their desire to spend a week in church. Lord, that's basically what they did is just spend a week in church. And Lord, I thank you for their good attitudes. I thank you for their good dispositions. I thank you for the incredible preaching that we heard Lord, they represented our church so well. I'm so proud of them. Lord, I thank you for the decisions that they made this week. Lord, I don't know what they are. Lord, I don't need to know what they are. But Lord, I pray that you'd instill in them today, tonight, this week, a desire to purpose in their hearts that they are committing uh, these decisions to God. Lord, I know that when the trials come and the obstacles come and the challenges come and the burdens come and the trials come, it's going to be easy to forget about these decisions that they've made. Lord, I ask you that you would instill in their hearts right now, this hour, this moment, this day, a reminder of the decisions they made last week. Lord, I believe it would be good for a couple of them to be accountability partners for each other. Lord, we need that. We need folks to rally around us and support us and help us stay committed. Lord, thank you for the parents and the grandparents. And Lord, thank you for Brother Ken and Miss Susan and all the work that was done to raise the money for these young folks to go. Lord, I thank you for the church and their willingness to participate in the fundraiser so that they could uh, afford to go. Lord, all of it's in vain if it all got left on the mountaintop of Gatlinburg. Lord, I pray for the 100-plus churches that were represented Lord, for the 2,000 teenagers uh, that were there, we thank you for the 200-plus professions of faith, but, Lord, we're asking you to just take that zeal and spread it throughout our churches. Lord, that we might come back inspired and on fire for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray that you do great work in our church. Lord, I've seen firsthand what can happen when a church gets excited for young people. Lord, I've witnessed firsthand how, how, how a young, young teenage crowd can ignite fire within a church. Lord, I pray that you do that again. 
Lord, we thank you for the leadership. Again, we thank you for Brother Ken, Miss Susan, and Brother Carl, April, all of those that work with our teenagers and our young folks. Now, Lord, I thank you for the chaperones that went with us this week. Lord, we thank you for Michaela, for, for Josh and Jesse, for James, those that helped out in so many ways. We praise you for that. Lord, we ask you that you reward them for their faithfulness. Bless them for their faithfulness. Lord, as we depart, keep us focused on the fiery furnace, but on the fourth man that's walking in the fire with us. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Fellowship with each other.